Aloha, YA. It's good to see you all tonight. Hello to everyone joining us online as well. Um, I'm really glad to be with y'all. If we haven't met before, like Brian said, my name is Sarah and I get to be one of the pastors here at Calvary Young Adults. And I have the privilege of walking with you through the word of God tonight. So I'm really pumped. Last week, we spoke out of Romans 1. We've been in a series on Romans and Brian Howard preached out of a part of Romans 1. And basically what we looked at was the consequences of what happens when people turn their back on God. What happens when we trade the truth of God for a lie and elevate ourselves to a place where we believe that we the created understand goodness and blessing and truth more than the creator, or even worse, apart from the creator. And tonight we're gonna look at the heart of God in response to something really similar and it's this. It's what happens when we make ourselves not only the judge, but the jury and the witness to our own lives. And furthermore, that of others. And I'm just gonna start out strong here and say this. If I've, no, if I've learned anything in the church over my 28 years of being in the church, it's this, is that we're really good at judging other people. And if you're sitting, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, right? And it's like, it's probably because you've judged someone, no offense. Um, and I know this because I've, we've all been a part of those conversations, right? Like the door closes and then you're like, actually, I was meaning to tell you something more. Or like the temperature changes when you walk up to a group of people. Or you've been a part of that text thread when, you know, your coworker leaves the cubicle or someone's speaking on stage. I've been complicit of that, right? Like we're so quick to judge people. And if you're like, I'm not really sure if I've been there. Like, let me, let me just like fill in some blanks, right? It's when we hear things like, if that were me, blank. I don't see how you can love Jesus and blank, or I would never, blank, or I can't believe they said that. Because we, as people of God, have become really good at one thing, well, many things. This is one thing. We pass off unjust judgment as love, and we call it love. And then we leave the conversation something like this, but that's none of my business, <laughs> right? And we do it, and I've done it, and it's so easy because suddenly we're like, no, 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 I was just giving some input. I was just helping them. But tonight I want us to consider a definition of love that Brian talked about last week, and it's this. It's love means seeking the highest and the greatest good of the other. And I have two questions to offer you before we jump into Romans 2 tonight, and they're this. One, when's the last time you judged someone lovingly? Like truly, when's the last time you judged someone with love? And then second is this, when's the last time the Lord has judged someone lovingly? Because we're going to learn the difference. All right, let's open to Romans chapter 2, and we're going to looking at verses 1 through 16. We're just going to start off strong in chapter 1. I'm reading from the ESV, if that helps anyone. And the Word of God says this. It says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same thing. So let's give some context. In this last chapter, we're looking at those, Paul is talking about those who have turned their backs on God and they've decided to live unrighteously. And he, he fills in the blank with different things like this. So they're living in every kind of wickedness, right? We have evil, we have greed. It says they're gossips, they're slanders, they're God haters. They're arrogant and boastful. And I, this part too makes me laugh. They invent ways of doing evil. So it's like whatever you can think about someone who's turning their back on their, God, it's there, it's all in the book. They disobey their parents, it says. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no mercy, no love. 
So this is what he's just finished talking about. Now he's turning around and now he's actually speaking to like the moralists. He's speaking to those who would be in the church, the Jewish people, those who know the law of God, who know the word of God. And this is the first thing he has to say to them. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment. Because here's the deal. As humans, by our very nature, we're hypocrites. We just are like left to our own device. We can't help it. Even in the sanctification process, after we've received Christ as our savior, as the spirit empowers us towards new life and wholeness, we still have the capacity to operate in the flesh. And the danger is when we forget that. When we forget that, when we start to think like, I'm beyond that, like that would never be me. And we suddenly start to elevate ourselves on the seat that never was ours, the seat of judgment. Now, I want to note the distinction that Paul makes between our judgment and God's judgment in this next verse. So verse 2 and 3, it says this. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things, he makes it broad, right? You included, um, is based on truth. So the people he's speaking to, he's like, anyone who does these things. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Again, he's talking to the moralists, those who think they're morally upright. And he says, listen, God's judgment is based on truth. So the inverse would be your judgment is not based wholly on truth. Also, when he says mere human, it makes me think of like you mere mortal. Like he's like really like leaning into like the Greek mythology of there, right? Um, but here's what he's getting at. Again, only God's judgment is pure. And in the same way, only God's judgment is loving. Like we think of the word judgment and like, I doubt you have a positive connotation, right? Like it usually, it's like judgment on something evil, corrupt. But only God can judge ultimately because only God is ultimately blameless. Only God is ultimately good. Therefore, only his judgment is ultimately good. And it's not just those who've done something wrong will be judged, right? Every person will be called to judgment, including those of us who have received Christ. Everyone's gonna sit before Christ and the Lord in eternity and be judged for the good and the evil we've done. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2 says this, in the presence of God, of Jesus Christ, who will judge both the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. This is Timothy writing letters to the church. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Nowhere in this call or really anywhere else in scripture do I hear the believer being asked to sit on the judgment seat of someone else's life. So hear me, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who have received him as our savior, as our advocate, here's what we're called to do. Instead of judging, we are called to do these four things. I'm hearing Timothy admonish the people of God. He says this, one, share the word of God. Like we can do that judgmentally. I have received it and I have given it. Like we can use the word as a weapon, but it is also the live and active source of life that the Lord has given us to bring healing and restoration and truth to our lives. Sharing the word of God, living by the word of God is necessary to even bring people into knowledge of who God is. Second, be ready for ministry and service opportunities at all times. Like I love how he says in season and out of season, right? Because sometimes we're like, maybe I'm like, six months, I'll be ready to do X. Or like, I don't know, the Lord's kind of prompted me into this, but like, I don't know if I'm spiritually mature enough. And those are good things to weigh, 
but also like there is an urgency on our lives as believers to go out into the world and say yes to the things that the Lord is putting in front of us for the good works that he prepared for us long ago. I think we waste so much time trying to discern or even just judge situations that we don't step into them and see the fruit that the Holy Spirit has. Three, constructively correct and disapprove of sin in fellow believers. And I really want us to like, like hear me on this one because I think we try to equate judgment to that. Well, I'm judging them or I'm judging the situation because I want to help them. I want to help them grow in who they are in Christ. But thing is, judgment is usually silent and it's usually at a distance. Or if it is engaged in a conflict or conversation, it's usually not two-sided. The Bible actually has a lot to say about how to confront sin in a fellow believer's life, and it's good. It's for our good. We should disapprove of sin. Like, if your brother and sister is sinning, we shouldn't just sit by and be like, they'll figure it out. Like, the Lord gave us community and the Holy Spirit to work together for one another's good. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we can constructively keyword constructively, correct and disapprove of sin in fellow believers. And then fourthly, we can encourage those in and outside the church. Like I think sometimes, again, we pass off certain judgments as like exhortation to do better, but like we're called to encouragement in the life of the believer, to call up and out and higher, not just beat down. So quick side note, if you're looking for more of like a direct model on how to address sinner conflict, like between yourself and someone in the church, Scripture has something to say. Um, for me, go to is Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. And I'm not going to walk through all of it right now. But if you're like, this is me, this is right now. Like, I want to address something in someone's life in the church who is a follower of Christ. Um, write this verse down. Like, go and find it. It's like almost a step-by-step of how this works. And like, be prayerful about that process. There's a way to do this that is loving and it's kind. And it's for the benefit of the other person. Okay, so in all these things, last thing I'll say about this verse, Timothy says this, he says, do all these things with great patience and intentional direction. Because as we'll see in verse four of Romans two, that's the nature of God. Like we're called to live into the nature of God as the children of God. So verse four, Paul goes back and he's saying, or do you show contempt? So he's like, if you're judging, are you showing contempt for the riches of his kindness? forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Like this is one of my all-time favorite verses. And I'll just tell you, there's something I learned that I'd never seen in this verse before. Like I quote this all the time. And then I was like, what the heck is forbearance? Like forbearance versus patience. And it's actually a really cool distinction. So forbearance, this word actually, it kind of connotates self-restraint, kind of like mercy when you're like holding back. And I was kind of looking into a commentary by one of my favorite ancient like Christian philosophers, and he says this. He looks at it and he says, this is meant to distinguish God's heart for those who sin out of weakness. So like forbearance is saying like when God looks at us and he's like, listen, I understand that you're still in the flesh. You're gonna sin out of weakness. And I actually have self-restraint for that. I have mercy for that. But what I love too is when it's talking about patience, that's more for those who commit sin intentionally. Like, God is patient with us. We, we hear this in scripture, like, he is long-suffering that we may know him. He's patient with us, even in our sin, even when we're choosing to rebel against him. So if God is so patient with us, like, we are called to be patient and forbearing with one another. When you think about this idea of judgment, it's like we, we completely reject patience and forbearance. 
And it's if the Lord's kindness can lead us to repentance, what makes us think that our self-righteousness or indignation would lead others to repentance, right? Like what, things are, what, what makes us think that our judgment would possibly lead to someone's repentance? It's the same concept of like, you probably cannot argue someone into the kingdom of God. And I would say try, but I'm gonna discourage you from trying. The spirit convicts the heart. His kindness, only the kindness of God can lead us into repentance. So let's be vessels of that, yeah? James 2, verses 12 through 13 says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. I love that. We're gonna talk more about the law later. So basically this goes back to the um, Mosaic law that was given to Moses for the people of Israel after they complete the Exodus, they're freed from slavery. And the Lord gives them this good law, these good words to help them live life to the fullest to refrain from things that are sinful and evil. And anytime the Lord gives a law, it's for our freedom. It's never for our restraint. We might have to practice self-control, but I love that he addresses that. You're gonna be judged by the law that gives freedom. For judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the God we serve, who is wholly merciful. His judgment is merciful, and he calls us to the same. He calls us to the same. So when we get to a place of pettiness or piousness, meaning like we think we're better than we are, with the sin of others, I'm just gonna make the argument that we've lost the peace of God ourselves and we've forgotten the goodness of the gospel because we're called to be people of mercy and we can't out-mercy God. But when we start to do that with others, like we've forgotten the gospel because when you're tempted to judge another in their sins, there's other things that you can do. And I'm just going to give you three things. When you're tempted to judge another, and sometimes, you know, we're meant to hate sin. So like we start in a good place and then goes like really south really fast. Just pause. And here's th- three things I'll offer. One is this. Remind yourself of the sweetness of the gospel in your own life. Like take a moment. I was talking to my friend, Kelly Bum. She's out in the audience. Um, woo! The other day, just about like, sometimes we have like really bad days and we forget the goodness of God. And like, also there's just like a point in our life where we stop preaching the gospel to ourselves, right? Like we, we hear it once and we're like, that's so good. Like I remember when I was on my knees and the Lord saved me. And then we kind of think, we just like subliminally are like, I don't really need that anymore. That's something I was supposed to share with other people. But like, Sharing the gospel should involve sharing it with yourself. Preaching the gospel of yourself, like you will become a more forgiving person if daily you engage with the gospel. It never grows old to you. Even ask God, like if, that, if that's old news to you, get on your knees tomorrow morning and say, Lord, I don't want this to be old news. If this is the best piece of news, if, the, if you're saying I have everything I need in Christ Jesus, like that's it. Like my life can go any direction after this point and I am set. I'm set. And you look at people differently when you actually know the gospel. Your judgment goes way down, let me tell you. And the second is this, because that's going to bring your eyes back on yourself. Thank God for the mercy has shown on your sin. Like, are you grateful for the mercy God has shown on your sin? Because there's days that go by where I'm not. I'm just like, I'm actually doing a pretty good job, like, by myself. And, like, that's actually usually when I, like, sin next, right? And then I get in this like shame bubble and instead of being like, no, God, you are so merciful. You are so merciful. Like I don't even deserve to be standing here talking about you, but Lord, you're merciful. And then thirdly, and this is calling us higher church, pray and or choose to be a part of the restoration healing of the other person. 
Like if you are tempted to judge someone, can you first pause and pray for them? That will change your heart. (laughs) We're called to pray for our enemies. And yes, it's for them, but I'm gonna argue that it's also mostly for us. It's mostly to soften our hearts, to make sure that we're in step with the spirit, to say, I actually wanna see that person how you see them, Lord. And then like Matthew 18 talks about, look it up. um, We can actually be a part of the restoration of others. Like if there's something worth judging, there's something worth healing. And God can do that. So if you're intimidated by that, ask for the power of God to go through you because that's a promise too. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is part of the call on our lives on this earth. And I am not a big confrontation person, but I have actually grown in that through the Lord in a healthy way, hopefully, because confrontation can be loving. It could be full of truth and it could be full of grace. And human judgment is just such an easy cop-out. Like it's such an easy cop-out. And I've been complicit. I've been completely complicit. And this calls me higher as well. Instead of sitting back, like, what are you calling me to engage in, Lord? Where do you want me to be a minister of your gospel? That's what that looks like. And then like just reflecting on this, I think something that really got me was like, do we not understand that sin is painful for the sinner? Like the things we're judging that are like, man, well, that person, like we use this phrase, like hurt people, hurt people. And it kind of gets like, oh, that's cute. Like it's real. Like if, if you've ever experienced hurt from someone, like they have been hurt. They've experienced the consequence of sin in their life and they're projecting sin. And it's not that you should always tolerate that, but can you acknowledge like the humanity of that? that like you too are hurt by sin. And like, like we're told in scripture, a day is coming where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that the Lord is God and he's gonna judge the living and the dead. And that's gonna be painful if you do not have Christ as your advocate. Can we have compassion on people who are living in such a way where they don't know that they have a great advocate or maybe not just living in that way, even inside the church? Verse five says this, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Fun, right? What Paul is pointing out is that our pride puts us in a predicament that we cannot get out of. Like when we are so prideful to say that like, I don't need to repent for that. And I can sit here and act as if I know what goes through the mind of this loving father, Lord of the universe, who's perfectly just and either condemn or exonerate the people around me. Like we get ourselves in a sticky situation really fast because again, only God's justice and judgment is righteous. But here's the thing about God's wrath, like contrary to Jim Carrey's portrayal in Bruce Almighty, like God is not a bully or a mean kid on an anthill with a magnifying glass, right? He's not waiting to unleash his wrath upon you and smite you. But so often we picture this as God, like just some angry man in the sky who's just like waiting, right? And then some, you know, like that's a cliche picture. Maybe we like lean towards like God is my friend. But when we hear the wrath of God, like this is what I picture. Like he's suddenly like on your team until he's not. But here's the deal. This is actually what the wrath of God looks like. This is what the wrath of God looks like, that he poured out on his most precious relationship in his son. Because God in his wrath is kind and he is loving and he is a gracious father who is relentlessly pursuing you, inviting you into life that when the time comes for him to rightly and justly unleash his punishment on sin, It is absorbed not by your blood, but by Jesus's blood. That's where the wrath of God goes. And wrath outside of God is viewed as a bad temper. 
It's wrath to God is actually a justifiable hatred of what has tormented and corroded his creation. He wants to release his wrath on what has hurt us. The sin has separated us from him, but he allows us to choose what we want to be a part of, right? Because his wrath, the wrath of God just means he's delivering his justice on what is contrary to his character. And he would not be good if he did not do that. The impure judgment of humans, and I want us to listen, church, the impure judgment of humans can rob people of the beauty of the judgment of God. Like, we think that and we're like, wow, beautiful judgment of God. But like, listen, God's judgment is not wrath, as I said. It's also goodness because he's fair. He's merciful. Like, he is grace embodied. But we tend to lead people astray through our own hypocrisy, right? through our own short-sighted declaration and condemnation of other people's lives. They don't actually get to see the goodness of God's judgment in us. And Paul has something to say. He says in, in verse six, God will repay each person according for what they have done. And right now he's quoting a few different scriptures from the Old Testament. There's one out of Proverbs 24, 12. And it says this, if you say, behold, we didn't know this. Does not he weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? He's talking about the Lord. And this is what we deserve, right? Like we deserve to be repaid for every evil deed we've ever done. We deserve to be repaid in full. But instead we get repaid for what Christ has done for us in standing in the gap and punishment for our sins on the cross. But the Lord certainly looks at what we do with that gift of restoration. And here's kind of like this nuance. Like I said earlier, we have this great advocate that will stand before us on day of judgment, but every believer still has to make an account for their life, right? And again, it's just this question of like, do we rejoice in what Christ has done and is continuing to do for us? Like, do we rejoice in that? Is that something that compels us to a life worth living, one of love and goodness and kindness, where we wanna get to the Father and say, Lord, I didn't just do this because I didn't want punishment, but I did this. I lived this life of purity, seeking you, seeking the Spirit because I love you, because I actually don't wanna grieve your heart, because I desire a relationship with you above all else and not just for your good standing, but because you're a good father. Because like, is what you've done only accepted Jesus? Or have you given your whole self to a life activated by the spirit? Because it's possible. And we've talked about this before. Salvation is not just a get out of jail free card, right? And sometimes we treat it that way. It's an invitation to life in the spirit of God now and into eternity. And I had another friend put it to me this way. She's like, if, if you did this and just accepted Christ and then lived your life, treated as like, all right, see you in eternity, God, it would be like meeting Jesus and seeing him for all that he is and being blown away by the person of Christ who is fully man, fully God and being like, man, it is so good to meet you. And then he's like, and here's the Holy Spirit. And you're like, oh my gosh, you shake his hand or her hand. And then you're like, hey, what's up? And then you like wave at God the Father and you're like, I'm so glad you're all here. And then you're like, okay, um, catch you later. And then you just walk. And they're like, they're like, don't you wanna know like your purpose and who you are and like your gifting and what I have designed for you? And you're like, no, no, I'll figure it out by myself. It's fine, but I'll see you in heaven, right? And we do that, like as if by our own skills and abilities, we can discover who we are and who we're made to be. 
Like I say that, but I've done that. I've lived life that way where I'm like, no, 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 I think I could, I think I could figure this out. Like I'm made in the image of God. I don't need to listen to the spirit. I don't need to be in the word. As if by ourselves, anything good can be produced from our lives. Like I've made it pretty far. Like I'm good at my job. I'm good with people. Or as, as if by ourselves, we could even persist in doing good which is what we see in this next verse, which Paul says is a necessity for eternal life. Verse seven says this, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will be given eternal life or she will be given eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. It's pretty straightforward, right? But I just wanna point out a few things right here. Immortality actually doesn't mean like living forever. It means purity. So he's talking about seeking glory, honor, and purity. And like, what's synonymous with glory, honor, and purity? It's Jesus. Jesus is known and sought for these things. And there's just two truths that become really evident here. And the first is this, there's nothing more damaging than being self-seeking and self-deceived in pride. There's really not. And I was talking to my therapist this week because I go to therapy, shout out. Um, <laughs> And we're just talking about how like self-deception exists in everyone. It's so real. It's so, even as I was talking, she was like, well, do you actually think that's because of X? And I was like, oh, Lisa, you right. Um, <laughs> because we just tell ourselves these narratives and if they stay in the vacuum of our mind and we never place them before God or others or wise counselor community, like we begin to believe whatever narrative we give ourselves, right? And that can lead us to such dangerous places and usually places where pride will corrupt us and again, bring us this place where like, you know, this seat actually feels pretty comfortable. This judgment seat, like for myself and others, like I think I can handle this. But then here's the inverse. And this is what Paul talks about too. There is nothing more life-giving than living for what is good and true in humility. And that's actually often the harder thing to live into humility, to say, to really like truly never grow weary of saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Spirit, I need you. Would you pilot me today? Like first season of my life, which I would argue is one of the best seasons of my life. Like I just felt like the Lord is like, you need to get on your knees every day and ask the Holy Spirit to pilot you. That is the first thing you need to do when you get out of bed. And I've stopped doing that and now I'm convicted, but like sincerely, like pause, take time in your life to say, Lord, I need you. Even if you're not feeling it in that moment, like that's the truth. It will never not be the truth. We need him. We need Christ. Because here is where we see self-seeking and self-deception. Here's where we see it leading. Verse nine, it says this, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. It says first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. A couple of things here. First is this, sin has consequence, right? We've talked about that. But even when we are covered in the blood of Christ, who absorbs our eternal consequences, there are consequences on the side of eternity, right? It has consequence. It perpetuates something in this world and then we're called to join in the spirit to help restore and heal. And right now when he's talking, you're like, okay, well, this is kind of confusing because he just said he doesn't show favoritism. And then he said first and second, that's kind of chronological. Um, 
He's, again, talking to the, the Jewish people, which are like the people who know the law. So he's actually not saying like, I'm elevating you above the Gentiles because you are better. Like we see that in Galatians, there's no longer a distinction there. But what he's actually saying is you, the Jewish people who know the standard of truth are actually gonna be called out first because you know what is right and for you not to do it is actually leading people astray more than those who maybe have an inkling of what to do, but then of course don't know the law so they can sin apart from it. Because Gentiles at this time, which is kind of considered anyone who was not Jewish, were still learning the formal instruction of God. This is when Christianity is spreading through like the Greek and Roman empire, through Asia and Africa. This is like the birth of the church. And just like today, those who know what is right and do not do it or withhold knowledge of what is right are held accountable. And guys, that's us. Like if you are a follower of Jesus and you call yourself a Christian, you're in the church, you know the goodness of God, you know the word of God, and you're not living that out. You're not even sharing that. Like we are held accountable for that. We're held accountable for the good that we do not do. And I say that not to be like, shame on you. I'm saying that because we have a great purpose in this world and we get to join in Christ in this. And there is consequence. Verse 12 it says, all who sin apart from the law will also perish from, apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So again, this law, it's the Mosaic covenant, the 10 commandments, 10 words, whatever you want to call it. This is given to the people of God after they've been freed from slavery in Egypt. And it's important because what we'll see next week is that we can be outwardly devoted. We can say that we know the word of God, but we could be inwardly devoid of transformation and that just means the law is null and void in our lives, right? An origin of Alexander, so this is one of those early Christian scholars I was talking about earlier. He points out this, and I love this. He looks at this verse and he says, if you notice, nowhere does it say that God destroyed them. Like they destroyed them because they didn't follow the law. Instead, everyone experiences destruction by their own accord. Because this is the truth. Apart from the law, we perish. Under the law, we are judged by what we do with the law and the one who came to fulfill it for us, which is Christ. Because we cannot fulfill the law on our own. We just can't. That's why Christ came. He's like, I don't expect perfection out of you, but I know you would never get there without a perfect sacrifice. So like we shared last week, God will eventually give people over to the desire of their heart, right? For better or worse, what Paul is saying, like, you'll get what you want. If you're gonna live apart from the law, law you'll get what you want. And then he says this in verse 13, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. It's not just those who hear it, but those who obey it. I know we're coming hot with this judgment topic, but this is like a wake up call for many of us, right? Like it's not just enough to listen to the word of God. You can be in church your whole life and be wholly untransformed by the end of it. If you simply hear and do nothing what, what you've been taught or the prompting of the spirit, you will not be declared righteous, right? Like this, these are the words that he's saying. This is what he's saying in the sight of God. Like this is the mystery of salvation, right? Like you'll have a great advocate at the end of the day. But again, the things that you do with your life will be judged before God. So you're like, okay, Sarah, what are you saying? Like, are we to live a workspace life? Like was Christ not good enough? for our sin and our weakness? 
No, what I'm saying in this moment, what I believe Paul is saying is Christ died so that we can live here and now on this side of eternity, free of life entangled by sin. Not that sin does not exist on this side of eternity, but not bogged down by condemnation of ourselves or others. See, the law that was given was given by an incredibly smart God in a way that was useful and an honorable way to live. Again, as we as humans cannot possibly keep the law on our own, our own minds, our own bodies, our choices will almost always lead to a place of putting other things before God in search for our happiness. So in an exhortation of obedience, I just feel like Paul is saying here, choose life. Like, choose life. Choose life in Christ. Help others choose life. Yes, we fall to our flesh, but the scriptures will also make it clear that to live with Christ means to die to ourselves. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's not be like what Paul says later in Romans 6, people who abuse the grace that was given us because we keep on sinning, that we know the truth, but we choose to live apart from the truth. Because as we know, lip service and church attendance and even simply trying on our best on our own to abstain from sin will never be enough when it comes to truly knowing Christ. Because I, I want us to hear Christ when he says this out of Matthew 7, 21 through 23. He says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does, will en- the, one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty things and works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Those are words I hope I never hear. Those are words I hope you never hear. Because we're invited to know the love of God, the love of Jesus that energizes us through the spirit to a life of encouragement and justice and ultimate transformation a life where we love Jesus because of the love that compelled us to do the will of the Father, that we do the will of the Father out of love, that we repent because of his kindness, not a life where we feel like we can act like we are God simply because we bear his image. Paul continues this way in verse 14. He says, Indeed, we Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law. They are the law for themselves, even even though they do not have the law. They show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bear witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times defending them. I love how this is like, at least in my Bible, it was like in parentheses. And I was like, that was kind of a run on thought. Um, But really what he's saying here, he's like, okay, so the Gentiles haven't been given the law. But he's like, maybe, just maybe, because they are created beings that the law, like things in our nature, like hmm, maybe not murdering people, maybe like not committing adultery or lying to people. Those things aren't advantageous. Like those little sparks of the conscience. He's like, I actually believe those are written on every human heart. That the Gentiles, though they do not formally know the spoken and written law, they themselves, as I'm watching them, they're kind of onto something. They're forming their laws around these same concepts that were given to Moses, the people of God, years and years and years ago that their conscience are both accusing them and defending them, that there is a natural order written on the hearts of mankind, people kind, because God is still the creator of all things. And like, how, much, how affirming would that be 
like even in our world today to share the truth of God with someone and they're like, actually that really lines up. Like that actually lines up with something that I've been feeling in my conscious. That lines up with like the natural order that I've been observing in the world. Like you're right, this actually brings things to an order. Like the word of God affirms the truth that's written in our hearts. So dialing it back, he's talking about being declared righteous and unrighteous because that day is coming. When will that day come? Verse 16, last verse. He says, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Christ Jesus, as my gospel declares. And again, there will come a day when God judges the living and the dead. And there'll be no such thing as secrets with God. We will be held in account for every good deed and every evil deed that we have ever done before Christ. But here's the scene. Let's set the stage. There will be a judge and that will be God. And there will be an accuser or at least an account of his accusations, and that's the enemy. But there will also be a great advocate and witness to our lives. And as much as we are prone to failure, don't we want to bless God with our lives in that moment? To honor him? Like when we come before, again, like it's nice to stand before God and be like, okay, well, Jesus is here. Everything's gonna be okay. But don't we wanna live our lives in such a way that we come before the Father and we say, I'm gonna take account for every time I've sinned against you. But Lord, I'm going to delight to actually show you how I've lived my life because I love you. Not because I cared about anyone else. Like we talk about like treasures in heaven or like being crowned with these things that we've done. And I just remember years ago, my friend Caleb wrote a song where he talked about finally seeing God face to face. And he like crowns us with these beautiful like kingdom accomplishments and just like throwing it back to the feet of Jesus because he is worthy of that, because he is worthy of every good treasure, every good gift, every good relationship that we've ever had, every person we've ever brought to Christ through the spirit, whatever it is that furthers the kingdom of God. And I just love that heart of getting to the feet of Jesus and said, every good thing I just wanna like lavish back upon you. And that should be our heart arriving on that judgment day, right? Because we are prone to failure but we wanna honor him. And not just because we wanna avoid his disappointment and judgment because we truly love him. So I'm just gonna compel us with this. Die without secrets and live to see others set free from the bondage of sin's duplicity. Like nothing will be hidden. And those final days, nothing will be hidden. It is not worth living a life full of secrets. If there's things that you need to tell someone that you trust, if there's things you need to repent of, if you just need to get before God tonight, so you are, you are in the, you are out before God. It is worth it. It does not matter what it is. He can handle it. It's worth it because we need to stop wasting our time judging without a pure objective. Life is way too short and God is way too kind and he has way too much for us church. And like Brian said last week, allow God to be the judge. Like that's a relief. Like getting off the judgment seat is actually a very big relief. Be people of mercy and restoration. That is who we're called to be. Origen, the same scholar I referenced earlier, he says this, and I love this. He says, it is my opinion, in fact, that even if someone could escape God's judgment, he ought not desire to. For not to come to God's judgment would be not to come to correction, to the restoration of health, and to which heals. God's judgment is good. It is for our good. It is full of love. And we cannot know God's love apart from his judgment. Because to answer that initial question, God always judges lovingly. 
We should not fear the judgment of God, but we should invite it with confidence as those who know Jesus, who have Jesus, as a, not only a great advocate, an absolver, a shield about us, but as a way forward to the restorative, corrective vision that he has for this world. And my final question for tonight for us is like, like, do you know him? Like, do you know this advocate? Do you know this one who absorbs the sin that you should have taken on that cross so that you can know Christ, so that you can know the Lord, that you could live fully empowered by the spirit? And like, if you don't, like, do you want to know him? Not just like one day in eternity, but like tonight, August 17th, 2022, from now on into eternity, to know this Christ that will stand blameless and take your place to that moment you can come before God and just say, Lord, I'm so excited to be with you. And here's what I want us to do tonight. I would love for all of us just to close our eyes and to meet with Christ. Like if you know him, take this moment with him. Thank Jesus for the mercy. Thank God for the mercy that he displayed on your life through Jesus. Like preach the gospel over yourself again. And if you don't know him, and you want to enter into a relationship with him, this good God, this good judge, this perfect advocate, I just want you to take a moment to be still. And in your either quiet of your voice or in your mind, just start to engage in a conversation with him. And for those who already know him, would you just begin to intercede for those, both here and online and in our community who are meeting with Christ maybe for the first time? Because I, I, I just want to extend this invitation to you to speak to the Lord and say, Lord, I recognize that if I live life on my own, I'm gonna fall short every time. I'm gonna stand before God as a good judge and I'm gonna have to be repaid for everything that I've done. But Christ, I actually want to know you as advocate both on this side of eternity and the next. I'm okay with letting you be the Lord of my life, the savior of my life to determine the direction of my life. I give you authority in my life and I wanna walk with you. And maybe you don't know what that fully looks like, but guess what? It can start right now. That's the beautiful part. And a community of people have been walking with the Lord. I'm not gonna have you raise your hand. I'm not gonna have you stand up. But what I'm gonna have you do, if, if tonight you're like, man, like this is actually the first time I've had a conversation with Jesus where I'm like in humility coming before him saying, I want you as my advocate. What I'm gonna invite you to do instead is we're gonna, we're gonna go into a time of worship and I would love for you to simply just turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I accepted Christ. Can you pray for me? And if that's you, just celebrate with them, pray over them and say like, welcome to our community. Like we wanna walk with you because that's what the church is for. And we're gonna do it imperfectly together, but we're gonna follow Christ's lead together. So I'm just gonna pray for us as we enter this time of worship. Lord God, thank you so much God, that you understood our weakness. You understood that we cannot do this on our own. Lord God, I'm just grateful for your life, for your death, for your resurrection, that you decided, Lord, that it would be suiting to be our advocate, though we don't deserve it. God, thank you that your judgment means that you love us, that you are just, Lord, that you hate the things that hurt us, that have corrupt your world, and you wanna show us a life of restoration and healing and joy. And Lord, I just pray for those, God, who had maybe first conversation, maybe just the first serious conversation with you tonight, Lord. Um, I pray that they might know the joy that it is to follow you. 
that we might feel you as an advocate tonight, that Holy Spirit, you are the one that intercedes on our behalf. And I just pray for a lot of joy in this room as we go forward. Um, But we love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. And we pray this only in your name. Amen.